Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Happy COVID. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Kaylin Bradis of Midwest Muscle P4P Real Talk in your eardrums. And this program is sponsored by P4P Muscle, the number one drug free sponsorship foundation in all of the world. If you are looking for a solid foundation to stand on, and if you are looking for a vehicle that drives your goes like what does Roy? <laughs> like a Mack truck through ice cream. Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little track away for the win. Check us out at TeamFeedMuscle.com. And now let's chit chat with Amanda. There's a Roy. There's a Roy. You know, this is the first time in a long time I feel like where you haven't had an accent. And and we usually kind of just vacillate in between your Australian accent and your vampire accent. But, you know, this is good, too. <laughs> it's good. I feel like we're we're entering into maybe a different stage of introductions. Maybe. We'll just have to see how this goes. Maybe. Maybe not. Stay tuned. Check us out. <laughs> <laughs> you have to love the suspense. The suspense yeah. is delightful. Isn't that what Willy Wonka says or something like that? <laughs> Oh, no, I don't remember. I, I, just remember I think when Augustus, I when Augustus Blues got sucked into the we chocolate can. river and shot up that just tube, and his mother's like, Where did he go? Augustus! Augustus! And then he has to send the Oompa-Loompas to rescue him. <laughs> you got it. You guys know. You guys remember Willy Wonka, and not the new one with Johnny Depp, but the original one with Dean Wilder. The original, the good one. Oompa, oompa dee dee. Can you solve this puzzle for me? What do you get (laughs) when you eat too much sweet? Okay, back to the show. (laughs) (laughs) You're pretty darn, you're pretty darn close. You're pretty darn close. We'll take it. So anyway, uh, rest assured, we do not, we do not have an oompa loompa on the show tonight. In fact, we have like the extreme opposite. Like, you would never, well, I don't know if you'd ever see him drinking out of a river of chocolate. Maybe we might, but never during prep season. I guarantee you, never during contest prep. So, with that, <laughs> with that, we are going to introduce, and, you know, we're going to say a little prayer here that I get his name right, because you guys know, you know the struggle is real. So, Lord, heaven, please help me. Please help me with Annunciation and pronunciation, but uh, everyone in listener land, please welcome IPE World Pro Men's Physique Champion Amari Nasafi. Do we have that right? Uh, I think we have that you right. Nailed it, beautiful, perfect. Woo! Oh, perfect. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Desiree, uh, thank dude. you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, how's it going? Well, thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, your, we're we're going to talk about your onstage, um, you know, persona, but tell us a little bit about the uh, alter ego, the other side of Amari. (laughs) The alter ego. So I'm a seventh grade language arts teacher. Uh, That's my day job. Um, I am married to a wonderful woman named Sarah, got two kids, um, Simone, she's six, 
and I have a son, Dorian, who's a year old. Um, I guess I I wandered into the world of bodybuilding a little bit sideways. Um, kind of needed something in my in my life to get uh, get out of my head a little bit, um, and so I really liked what bodybuilding offered in terms of not performing or being on stage. That never really entered my head when I first got into the gym. I just needed something uh, to kind of relieve stress. So kind of, I guess a lot of people get into the gym this way, but I was looking for something that was uh, allowed me to access a different part of myself and kind of escape from, I don't know, everyday life as it were. And the gym allowed me to do that. And uh, I don't know, after a couple of years, a few guys in the gym started mentioning things to me about competing and I guess at the time I kind of thought that was something that only enhanced uh, competitors would do. Yeah, and so, <laughs> well, there were a couple people in the gym. That was, no, no, and so they kind of introduced me to the, the idea that there was such a thing as natural bodybuilding. And so I started looking at some stuff online, and that's how I ended up wandering into my first show. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit of background on me. Well, you know, I. I... I have to look at that because I like your point, but the understanding is you made a, a, a healthy life choice because honestly, you know, we do things with our time and we don't look at it like that, but it's what are we doing with that time that really starts to create and define, you know, who we are or who we're growing into because, you know, the same people that are in the gym that are making the enhanced choice have made a choice and a decision. So I'm glad that you basically looked at the time you had to give and especially giving to yourself to keep your sanity, and made a positive life choice that basically brings out a better you. And I know many people, especially during times like this, are wishing and praying they had used their gym membership a lot more often because now they see what happens when you're giving the time but choose to do what things that aren't really helpful to what you're doing. Uh, I was just talking to uh, some people this, this uh, earlier today when the point had come up, what we do with our time. And I said, you know, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be content in all things. And and, and as long as life is going to be ahead of us, there's going to be things that we're not comfortable with. And as long as we make the good life choices, we can start dealing with life, life's discomfort a lot easier. Nobody's ever going to feel good about being in bad situations but we can handle them a lot better because mentally, like you were saying, you could still be prepared for what's going on in your life. So when that transition had happened in your life and you had friends that were basically recommending another option in that choice, was it easier to basically walk into or did you still have a lot of life lessons to learn as you're going about learning to be a, a natural bodybuilding competitor? That was really well said. I think one thing you, you hit on that is part of my psychological approach <clears throat> to bodybuilding or physique sport or physique art is kind of how I think of it, was um, in this realm, you put yourself into a, a space of being uncomfortable intentionally often, you know, whether it's training or, or uh, making nutritional choices that may not be the most exciting all the time. And so <clears throat> when you do that, uh, situations like this COVID crisis that we're in, it's not that, you know, losing someone close to you is suddenly easier solely based on your bodybuilding, 
but being uncomfortable um, being in a state where you can't go out to restaurants, where you don't get to spend as much time with friends, if you've already kind of built that scaffolding, you know, in your psychology of being uncomfortable all the time, it just makes it a lot easier. Um, so, yeah, I think what you said makes a lot of sense about dealing with life's discomfort. In terms of the transition into competing and deciding whether or not uh, to making that enhanced versus natural choice, um, I guess it never really occurred to me to be enhanced. Um, I don't know. It's not so much of a – I guess here's how I think of it. If my kids or one of my students or just even any adult I respected came up to me and said, um, so are you natural or enhanced? And I'm sure both of you have dealt with that question often. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I know in my head that I wouldn't feel good if my response had to be, no, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that, that right there tells yep. me that it's the right choice, right? If, if I couldn't freely admit it or just say to somebody and feel good about it, yeah, I, you know, I'm enhanced. I use steroids and I just compete in that kind of division. I guess if you can do that, then that's one thing. But for me, I know I wouldn't feel good about it. So that feeling of uh, potential guilt or shame tells me right away that it's not a good choice for me. You know, and that's, and you have to respect that, just listening to that inner voice and, you know, and you can't always go by feelings because we do plenty of things that we know are wrong, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, the brain, the brain outmaneuvers the feelings and we just do what we want to do anyway. But, you know, when you can listen to that inner voice and it's spot on, then that's, that's always a good thing, that innate, that innate uh, teaching there. Um, question for you here. This is from Bernice. And she's asking, as a teacher, how do you, how do the kids, your kids, see you in the classroom as a bodybuilder, and how does that, how does that mesh with how they see you as a teacher as well, or do they even know that you're a bodybuilder? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's a really good question. They do. When I first started competing, I, my first show was in 2013, and. <clears throat> Um, I just didn't say anything about it, you know. I mean, I teach seventh grade, and you can imagine how that could become kind of awkward. Uh, so mm-hmm. I didn't say much about <laughs> it. But but there were so many lessons from bodybuilding that have, I, I believe, helped me become a better teacher and can teach you a lot about, you know, other realms of life. And so kids, I mean, that age, they love to ask questions. And um, within reason, I try to be open with them. So eventually – questions did start as I, as I competed more often and questions started coming in and, you know, they kind of see you leaning out and they notice and ask questions. And um, I would say it's a mix of responses. Like some of them, the only, I think in, in the popular conception, uh, they think of bodybuilding as um, guys on Mr. Olympia. And so they, they wonder why you're not, you know, 270 pounds lean or whatever. Like, oh. Right, right. <laughs> like, are you sure you're a bodybuilder? And then, um, so that's one kind of response. And then, you know, another one is some of them are starting to get really interested in fitness. And so they'll ask you questions. I've had a couple of students who um, have wanted to start fitness programs of their own. And so then they'll come in mm-hmm. and ask me to help them kind of get started. Uh, some Some kids just think it's, a crazy weird thing that you're into. So I guess there's a myriad of responses to it, um, but kids are always curious, so they really want to know. One thing I'll do with them a lot, this is my favorite thing to do, is I'll tell kids like on a Friday, all right, everybody in the class is going to have uh, no homework if, and I'll pick out a kid, I'll say, if so-and-so can beat me in arm wrestling, you know. And so oh. <laughs> the kids will come up and, uh, and you'll 
the whole class will be cheering them on and I'll kind of let them have it for a little bit. And then, <laughs> and then I have to put them down. No mercy. You got to shut them down. They're, they were, they're so encouraging. Like once you tell them what you're doing and kind of help them understand it a little bit, they are so good about cheering each other on and, and teachers who, whatever kind of, you know, endeavors they're into. And so when uh, I, I brought the world's trophy to school the week after I won it and, and we all took a picture with it with my first period class, and Aww. we had a bunch of fun. So, yeah, yeah, they have fun with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, I have to admit, I was I was lurking on your Facebook um, page a little bit, and I saw how you obliterated, you said, your six-year-old? Your six-year-old daughter with an oversized <laughs> ball in a game of what should have been friendly kickball, but again, no, she kicked it, you got it, and tagged her. <laughs> she was on well, the see, ground. You to, no, you have to find those healthy ways to take out those quarantine aggressions <laughs> on each other, you know, without really hurting each other too bad. <laughs> and what you don't see on my Facebook page is all, all the various ways she's obliterated me, maybe not with beach balls, but with all kinds of words like, uh you won't let me stay up another hour. You must not love me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All that I kind of stuff. Like, yeah, well, I think you know how kids they get your heart. You know. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. I could just say you know I, can, I can see. Well, I a... saw the competitive spirit there, but now I really hear it when I hear the arm wrestling. But I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah, yeah. Arm. No, I was, was going to say she knows she's so good at trying to. Uh, she knows how to get to me. So. When she's really mad at me, she'll say to me, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to marry a guy who has more bigger muscles than you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what you call motivation right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) there. (laughs) All right. All right. Okay, got another question here for you from Carl. And he's asking, are there certain choices being a teacher um, that you were already avoiding, already avoiding. So let's see, to put this in another way, you're a teacher. Are there other choices in life, better habits maybe with, you know, like food and, um, you know, just different ways that you carry yourself that you were already making um, because you were a teacher and, can you kind of maybe share some of that perspective with us and maybe how you have translated that into connecting with your kids and connecting that with being kids in the classroom and connecting that with being a natural athlete? Yeah. So uh, better choices. Um, I think being a teacher for me uh, does change the standard I hold myself to in terms of the choices I make. And I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think there are a lot of things that I would otherwise be doing if I weren't a teacher. Like, oh, I don't want the kids to see me do mm-hmm. this. But it does sneak into your psychology. And I am, you know, very much aware of um, yes. how how easily influenced they are, you know. And so that kind of ties back to the choice to be natural. I suppose it, I didn't choose that because I'm a teacher, but it definitely undergirds and um, galvanizes that choice because, like I said, kids ask questions, they look to you, um, the boys and girls who ask, like, oh, how did you get muscular? And they ask questions like that. If I couldn't honestly tell them that I had done it naturally, then uh, that would lead me into some, I don't know, questionable conversations. 
Um, and I, I don't want to have to lie to them about stuff like that, especially when it's something that I um, think is really important. Uh, the other part is, since I'm a language arts teacher, I guess, a big part of my approach to bodybuilding has been trying to find out what I'm, what I'm doing and how to do it well. And so reading, like uh, reading and writing, um, even just for myself and my own progress has been really helpful. And I guess that's definitely tied to Brown and what I do for a profession. Hope that answers the question. I'm not sure who I did. No, you did. You did. But what, one of the things that I've noticed, especially from parents, since we're on the point of teaching, is, is teachers and nurses have really had the spotlight on them during these times because they were actually being jobs that were taken for granted because, honestly, when people do their jobs well, they become invisible because they're that good at what they do. And you just don't even acknowledge that it exists anymore because you don't hear about it. It's usually when people are a problem in this, uh, in the day and age that we live in, you get the attention when you're doing something out of the ordinary. And a teacher is supposed to be doing something that keeps the child interested in the work and not basically worried about the teacher. And nurses also, I've never, I was thinking because, you know, with the, with what's going on with nursing, is that you have people going to, you know, the hospital more and more often. And so they're around it to see it more often. And I, and they said, you know, you just never see a TV show that was based around nurses and nursing. It was always the doctor and basically the nurses just interacted with them just to know how significant the doctor was, never really the importance of uh, being a nurse practitioner. And now they're getting their just due because people really understand how much they're, they're at risk each and every day of their lives, teachers as well. And I said, you know, I was kind of surprised that we, and I, I don't want to make a negative connotation, but it is something that, you know, when, when you had all the school shootings, how you didn't have more people coming together for the teachers and, and the understanding of how much they're at risk on all sides, you know, because there was a lot of times and moments where, the, the students were coming together, uh, coming to school with, with, you know, being armed and stuff like that. So with that coming up more often, do have you been getting more interaction from people that really have been taking your job for granted? But I appreciate what you said about nursing and teaching. I, mean, I think from the nursing perspective, I feel that too, just having um, had the pleasure of knowing personally some people who um, worked as nurses kind of gave me an insight into what all goes into that field. Um, I think even though I uh, I come from a family that has some teachers in it, not my parents, but their parents, and a lot of my aunts and uncles are in education. And even so, I I came into the teaching profession late. I was in the military for a while and did a bunch of other things before I decided to go back to school and uh, become a teacher. And when I went back, it had been uh, my first year of teaching, I think I was 29 years old. And when I started my education classes and got back into the classroom, it had been a long time since I was in uh, like a high school or a junior high environment. And so it really boggled my mind how much, how dedicated and how hardworking so many people in education are. Because I really didn't have any idea as a student going through public school, um, especially, you know, the strongest teachers, how much they were uh, putting in in terms of hours, dedication, effort, um, their intellectual ability, how much of that was going into their job. I just really took it for granted and didn't 
didn't see it. And so I can understand how a lot of people have that perspective who are outside of education. But to your point, I um, I got a rude awakening my first couple years of teaching <laughs> about how much time and effort went into it. And um, and I love it. And I'm glad to put in that work. And uh, I have been, I've been seeing, you know what, more than on social media, since I haven't had tons of, none of us have probably much interaction with people. Um, I've been seeing a lot on social media posts that go something like, you know, parent before COVID, oh, my child's an angel and um, <laughs> he turns in all of his work and I can't understand these grades. And, you know, it's like parent after COVID at conferences. Like, can I write you a check for <laughs> a blank check for however much you want? I can't, I can't believe how did you survive all this, you know, it's kind of – and you know what? That's true even for my own child. So we're still doing some distance education things right now. But I teach seventh graders, and my f first grade daughter, I'm I'm trying to you know do some homeschooling with her, and teaching first grade math even is a big leap for me. So, so I can appreciate it from the parent and from the teacher perspective. Yeah, All right. I would well, say that's pretty awesome. Too. Sorry. Go ahead. That's pretty awesome. I definitely know. I'm one of those parents where I mean I've always had an appreciation for the teachers, and I feel like I try to be as, as supportive of them as I can, but it really does shed, uh, this whole situation does put a whole new light on just the career, the function, the dedication to the quote-unquote good teachers. Um, you know, it's just a whole new level of appreciation for nurses for a lot of, I mean, heck, even our folks our cashiers at the grocery store, I mean, come on, with so many people just afraid and freaked out and, you know, don't even want to wave to their neighbor next door if they don't have a mask and glove on. But yet these folks are there every single day making sure people can get their essential services. And those are high school kids. Those are the elderly. You know, there are at-risk people that are working in grocery stores every day, too. And so just a whole new appreciation for all of those roles that we take for granted that keep our country and our everyday running and moving smoothly that we don't even think about. So, you know, hats off, kudos to all those folks. Um, I'm going to transition us back to the gym life and the bodybuilding world because we've got a couple of listener questions that are trending in that direction. Um, they are from Ron and Larry, and I feel like they're kind of one and the same, so I'm going to ask them together, but it may uh, require a little deciphering. But here we go. Ron's wanting to know, how's the gym life now that the time at the gym has been taken away? And then Larry chimed in with, losing the training life and being home during these days and times, what's been maintaining your sanity besides kickball? <laughs> Well, you know what I figured out? You don't know uh, what you're going to miss from the gym until it's taken away. So I'm, I don't know about you guys, but this has been the, the longest I've been out of the gym. Probably, this is probably true for most people in this, you know, in this world. And I never thought I would miss uh, the guy who grunts really loud, the dude who's always <laughs> dropping the weights. You know, it's like even the even the guy in the locker room who's always trying to talk politics with me before we're dressed, all of them people, you know, it's like, oh man, even those guys I miss seeing them. Um Yeah, just interacting with the people at the gym. I'm kind of a lone wolf at the gym. You know, I try to interact and get around with people, but I but I do have people that, you know, you see each other, you know, every day. You're there at the same time and and their work ethic inspires me. I feel like if I don't show up for my workout in the morning, but they did, it's going to be like, oh, man, 
Um, so I miss that, <laughs> that feeling of it's like a mix of competitive and, uh, and camaraderie. I miss that. Um, I miss, I think when you walk into the gym, for me, I have a different schema in my head than when I work out at home. So mm-hmm. I have a set up at home, you know, I got a half rack and I can do a lot of the stuff, you know, of course there's some pieces of equipment I wish I had here that I don't, but a lot of my workouts have continued, but I realized, I think I heard one of your other guests say something like this. Maybe it was um, the woman who won bikini. I thought her, I heard her say something like, it's just hard to get your head space to, you know, your maximum workout potential at home, even if you have the stuff ready to go. And that's been true for me. And I've had good workouts, mm-hmm. but there's just different, there's a different psychology. When I go into the gym, I feel like the years of doing it have built into me a sort of uh, a series of triggers that set me up to perform yeah. well. Now at home, it's like, I feel like I'm in this domestic space. My son's bedroom is right above our home gym, and his nap gets interrupted, and it's just a whole series, of, you know, of uh, different kinds of hurdles. So I don't know if you guys have experienced that too. Oh yes, oh yes, time and place. And I, I think the one thing, and I, you know, being a trainer at the gym, the one thing I notice is the mindset, and they they have a certain amount of time to do it, and they have a certain amount of time to get it done. That's their time. And they don't want to be bothered when they have that uh, time to work out. They're in there and they're out of there. And if they have any extra time, they do it at the end of the workout, not the beginning, the ones who are dedicated and and diligent with what they do. And then you have the people that basically come in there to be social. And I think that's so funny because they really lost that when they lost the gym. And now, you know, it's like, well, what what do I do with it now? So I I think there will be a deeper appreciation for that time that we have for the gym and there'll be a better understanding of why things need to go in a certain order because, you know, it's somebody else has to have that free time as well. And I, I think sometimes when we're finished with our workout, we kind of let our guard down and not be as uh, helpful in having them get their time in that gym and, and address them like we do ourselves. So, you know, there's there's an appreciation that's coming from this and people are learning more about society by being removed from it. Because I think this is one of those times where all the introverts are yelling hip, hip, hooray, and all the extroverts are saying, you know, (laughs) this is just one of those times. So it's a a definite uh, appreciation for a lot of what's happening on life, and we definitely see the interaction with others and the the missing of it. So, you know, I I appreciate what you're saying, and, and God knows we definitely need to find some way of balance. And you found that way, so you know. Congrats to that. No, no I love doubt. What you said. No People doubt. are learning about society by being removed from it. Yeah, you know, that's a good summary of it right there. Is now you don't have access to something, and so it's very clear what parts of it that were most important to you, and what parts you're fine dealing without. And so it kind of makes your, you maybe in June, whenever it is that we can return, um, there'll be a sharper, oh. more accurate oh. perception of what we need. I know, June. I'm hoping it's true, but I know that's probably the truth. And now that you guys have been all philosophical about the answer to the gym question, I have to come in with the narcissistic angle of it and and just be like, the mirrors, dudes, the mirrors, you don't know how much you appreciate a mirror in working out until you don't have a full body mirror there anymore. And I, or you get, or you're like me, and you have a skinny mirror, and you're like, 
wait, did I lose 10 pounds of muscle? Because you got this little skinny <laughs> mirror at home. I'm like, man, what happened to the lighting in the gym and the nice mirror? I was jacked. And I was like, ah. <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else out there is missing their mirrors, but boy, I tell you what, I miss I miss mirrors when they're not there. I tell you what. All right, another question for Amari here. This one's from Vanessa. She says, being fit, being aware of good health, being on a positive lifestyle, how has that way of life improved being a teacher for your class? I think uh, habits. So uh, the things that they see me do consistently day in and day out, they kind of raise eyebrows at. Um, I think nutrition is probably the biggest part of it because obviously they don't really see me work out. They see um, kind of the results of your training over time. But what they really, really notice and are attuned to is the stuff that they see you do. And so um, Mm -hmm. they'll see me what I eat for lunch a lot of times, you know, is I'll eat my meals more frequently. So a kid will stop in to get help during my prep period and I'll be eating kind of like a morning meal. And so <laughs> they know the answer. They'll come in and I'll have eaten lunch in my room or, and they'll ask, what is that? So I can smell something you were eating. And I tell them, it's the same thing I've been eating every day, ground, tur- uh, ground turkey breast and sweet potato. <laughs> and they're like, but how can you eat that every day? And so the, I, I can't tell you how many kids I've started a conversation with about calories and what macronutrients are because they start asking all these questions, you know. And um, I will say many of them have sort of been turned on to maybe not changing their habits but thinking about what they're putting yeah. into their body and how it affects their body at least, you know. And I, I think this generation is much more aware than at least when I was growing up um, I never thought anything about calories or mac. I had no idea what a macronutrient was when I was in seventh grade. No, but it at least has made some made some of them kind of aware. Like, oh, you know, there's this there's some things that this food is made up of that is going to affect my health. And so I've had a lot of those conversations. So yeah, the habit number one has been nutrition. And I think that's so awesome because you never know at what stage of a child's life or how big or small of an interaction is going to shape them for the future. Um, I've seen so many young people that have come through the chiropractic office where I work and, uh, you know, a handful, which doesn't seem like a lot, but actually it, it is when you just think about the numbers or percentages of the young people that come through the office and then that go on to become chiropractors, but they're either introduced to the profession at a um, a career day at school or our doctor advocates for the profession quite a bit. And he's actually convinced like three or four young men to become chiropractors and then that's what they do when they go to school and they're coming in the office for their practicums and so it's just really inspiring just to see how um you know just living a certain lifestyle can influence those around you and especially young people so i think that's fantastic especially about nutrition and at an age where so many young people a don't have good nutrition don't know what it is they don't even know how to cook lot can't even boil water i mean and some of these are college kids age and all of that stuff and you're just like oh good grief what are you guys going to do when you have kids of your own and hopefully by then they'll have it figured out but there's just a lot of um 
misinformation and a lack of skills when it comes to health and healthy lifestyles. I will put that out there. Um, this next question here is from Kelly. She's asking, have you heard from your parents? How are your kids dealing with not being interactive with their peers and friends? Um, I have heard from some parents, and I've heard from a lot of my students, too. So we're still we're, we're doing our best attempts, like a lot of districts, to um, not speaking on behalf of the district, obviously, but this is my experience as a teacher. We're, we're transitioning as much as we can to helping students have some kind of access to online learning. But there is, mm -hmm. I don't know how aware people are of, of this, I think such an important part of the kids' experience is their social world. Um, and that includes, you know, mostly their peers, but also their adults that, that they interact with. So I always think of, I want all of our students that go to our school to have a person at the school who's an adult and then, you know, their group of peers, hopefully, too. And, and you know, these kids come from a huge, hugely diverse set of backgrounds where they have, you know, some have amazing support at home. And for some of them, it's, you know, they have much less support, let's put it that way. And so um, the yeah. loss of all of that social support and structure that they've had, especially for certain kids, I think has been really difficult. Um, and that's partly because of all the different amazing things that schools kind of offer that aren't strictly academic. It's not like you can just plug a student into an online course and suddenly they're getting everything they would normally get through the school, uh, through a normal school day. And I think that's part of what we're kind of all realizing. That said, I will say they've been re very resilient and a lot of the kids that I've heard from um, are dealing with it pretty well. Um, <laughs> it's funny because they're so, as a group, this is a generalization, but as a group they're so um, into their phones, you know, you kind of think before all this happened, they'll be fine. They'll just be on Instagram and watch, you know, binging on Netflix and they could do that for six months straight and be fine. But mm -hmm. I think they're realizing they miss all of that real social interaction. I think that'll probably be for their generation a huge, a huge shift for them. Um, I don't know about you guys, but no, I still remember the first time we had a caller ID hooked up to our corded phone. So right. <laughs> a big difference. <laughs> it's been a big difference uh, for them. Less so for me, I would say. But. I know. I heard you saying TikTok can only last for so long. That's for sure. KP? <laughs> well, what I was going to say, and then, you know, I don't want to, this is kind of a down situation with what I'm about to bring up. But it just it does show the significance of social interaction in real life because we we know like they we we have a generation that has adapted to interacting without being there in person because the understanding was that you could always be around people in person and then to have that stripped away is is, is groundbreaking for them where it's something for us. I think I, I said I don't know who took it harder or more harsh, is the adult or the child because this is a definite different dynamic. But what one of the things that I had seen and it was very hard, it, it was it just gripped my heart because there was a child and this goes to the point what Amari was saying is that you know you have a kid that was socially interactive with everyone and she was playing every sport known to God because she wanted to be out there doing something. And they didn't realize how significant it was 
until all of this was taken away. And she took her own life. And oh, no. Fathom why someone that was so outgoing and so productive in all her schooling, all her sports, and then they talked to the parents. And they said, dear Lord, this poor child was around her parents all that time. And they were so negative, and they fought so much. And so she was doing all of this sports so she could be good at it so she didn't have to be at home. And then, you know, it was almost like she'd been put in prison. And you know how people deal with prison sentences. A lot of people can deal with them. Some of them really are not ready for that life at all. And I said, you know, this is something that we don't, because we, we were supported, like like he was saying, in the way we were, and we didn't realize how good that support was until something like that causes us to reflect back and see how much of our life we've been taken for granted and basically just assuming that it's supposed to be this way. And then you learn that, you know, a lot of people don't have that interaction and definitely, definitely don't have that support system or foundation. So, you know, we, when, when we look at life, there's so many things that we've been blessed with that we really take for granted because it's considered normal to be that way, not understanding that at any moment all of that could be taken away. Because, you know, we look at injuries, we look at something that happens to us personally, this is one of those times where you have to look and see what happened to us uh, community-wise, not just as an individual. And I think that's one of the hardest things that people have been adapting to and, and learning a better structure in how to deal with self when taken away from everyone else because we do compare and contrast. And when you have nothing to compare to, it, it does cause for a lot of self-reflection. And many times people don't like what they see. Well said, Caitlin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting to see. I think this is a true with social networking. I mean, there's so much that I've um, learned and people I've connected to <clears throat> through things like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Especially YouTube, things that I've learned. But I kind of um, I think that one aspect of this whole COVID thing that we're noticing is if all of your connections are through social networking and that's the only way you're socializing, that puts it into sharper relief how that's different for you than human interaction. And and I've gone a couple of years, you know, without having any kind of social networking account at all because I didn't feel like it was doing anything beneficial in my life. You know? um, and I think now it's like, oh, uh, it, put, it it's making me more aware of what is it that I get for real human interaction and what is it that social networking can do for me in a positive way? You know, how can I use this tool wisely? Um, and it's the same thing with schools and gyms and all of our other institutions. What are the things that we um, should be grateful for? Sorry, didn't mean no to get doubt. Ahead mm-hmm. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Kaylin, no, I, I, mean, got a story. I got a story I want to ask you about, Kaylin. Can I ask you about this? You, you sure can. Please do. Okay, so, uh, so my first show, you know, I I was working out for probably five or six years, and some so the guys I told you about were at the gym, and they were, uh, hey, you know, you should you should try out a competition, you should, and so I was as naive as can possibly be. I mean, I didn't even I was so dumb about prepping for a show that I didn't even know what I didn't know. No idea. All I knew was 
hey, a couple of guys at the gym think I'm kind of jacked and I could do pretty well at this show. It might be fun to, to compete at doing something, and I should probably get kind of lean for this, you know. And so, <clears throat> of course, I start my prep about seven weeks out from this show thinking, oh, that's maybe even too much time. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm getting down. This diet's pretty tough. And, oh, I don't know. Man, I, I, I feel my weight. You know, I feel I think I'm getting too skinny. I don't even look jacked anymore. And so I get to this show and thinking, you know, I'm going to be competitive. After all, I'm bigger than some of the guys I work out with at the gym. And I get backstage and I weigh in. And I must have weighed in about like 206 pounds. And I'm like 6'1", right? And I've only been lifting for five or six years. And so I remember the guy weighing me in and he kind of looks down at the scale and looks back up at me. And, of course, I had all my tanning clothes on. And so they couldn't tell how big I was. But he looked at me like – either you're not even close to being lean enough or you're an absolute monster, you know? So I, uh, I get backstage before the show and I'm, I'm looking around and everybody, and I competed that first show. I competed in bodybuilding because I didn't know there was such a thing as any other category. And so everybody's in the pump up room and I look over and I see this guy eating uh, rice mixed with peanut butter and M&Ms. Like, and I thought, what oh. the hell is this guy doing? I had no idea about carving up any of that stuff. I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Well, anyway, these guys all start, you know, kind of slowly, methodically pumping up. And I start seeing veins popping out and all this other stuff. Like, these guys are, like, you know, to me at the time at least, and they probably were really lean, but I just thought insanely lean. Like, it blew my mind. I had never seen, you know, up close serratus muscles on somebody. And I just thought, yeah oh, my God, these guys are so much lean. Like, I didn't even – I had – it absolutely blew my mind. So I thought, okay, so my only chance is, is I got to really be bigger. So I, I start pumping up furiously, you know. I've, I grab this curl bar, and I'm just hammering these curls. And, and there was probably about 30 minutes until stage, and I'm, I'm back there, like, doing drop sets of curls, just no rest times, burning myself to a crisp. And this, oh, this big burly – Brother, this big burly brother with dreadlocks kind of walks over to me and says, "Hey, bro, you need to slow down a little bit, man." <laughs> I look up, I look over at this dude, like this massive guy. Oh, he looks like he knows what he's talking about. So you know, of course, I slow down. Well, I subsequently figured out that that was you trying to coach a younger me into relaxing a little bit backstage. <laughs> it make us such a fool of myself. So I I haven't seen you in person since then, but yeah, I always wanted to tell you, uh, apologize for my naivete, and also thank you for helping to chill me out <laughs> in that moment because I was back there making a fool of myself. <laughs> hey, don't you, don't you worry about I'm joking because I remember that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that is the most awesome story ever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I actually have to appreciate it even more because that was just the most perfect transition back to your story <laughs> and natural bodybuilding. <laughs> so, I so I know we've been getting quite a few more questions about your um, fitness background. And I know that's kind of gotten lost in our discussions about uh, your influence as a teacher and and the whole COVID-19 situation and how that's impacting life. But I know that you've been, uh, so you've been lifting for, well, gosh, now I don't even remember, but you started lifting as an outlet 
and you had some people in the gym start to talk to you about um, competing. But I don't think we ever got to the part where you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this, and how you went about picking a show. Clearly, you did. You, you're like so many of us, you have no idea what you're doing when you decide to compete, but you're there, you do it. Um, I, you know, I can only guess how that first show went, but <laughs> let us know what had you coming back and how did you discover men's physique? Yeah, so that show, I think I ended up being maybe fourth place novice, something like that, but I really you know, once I had all of my um, my dreams of walking out with first place in my first ever show, because I was obviously going to destroy everybody after Kaylin shattered that dream for me real quick. I was uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I got a I got a taste for what it was like to compete, and I just like the environment of it. I mean, I'm a competitive guy, so yeah, I wanted to go in there and win. And it, I I uh, you know it was one of those moments where I just kind of embarrassed myself by being ignorant and arrogant at the same time. You know, I just kind of thought, oh, you know. Bad combination, and so, yeah. Bad combination, you know. And so that that was probably you know, the best experience I could have had to start off because I think um, it forced me to take a huge step back. And and I, I kind of had to decide, am I going to continue to compete? Is this something I want to do? Or was it just like a bad foray into something I never want to try again? So I thought about it for a while, and I thought, no, I definitely want to try this again and actually and, and try to do it the right way. So I thought probably I needed to add some more muscle. So I did that for a couple of years, and so I competed again in 2015. And by that time, I had um, – actually started to read and and garner some more information about natural bodybuilding, you know, what it looked like to be competitively lean, what the different divisions were. And I just kind of thought, um, I always wanted to have like an ideal vision of where I was trying to take my physique and then have competing be a secondary thing for me. So that's kind of my approach. And I, mm-hmm. I thought that uh, men's physique matched up with with those goals that I have, that ideal that I have in my head the best. And so that's how I ended up with men's physique. And let's see, I, I competed in 2015 in a, at the Natural Iowa in Des Moines, Ryan Irwin show. And nice. I, I actually had a, yeah, I had a great experience at that show. Um, he's a good promoter. Last name, but yeah, he is great. And he's a great promoter, I think. Um, and I see you guys have had him on the show before. Yeah. He's yep. like a really good advocate for natural bodybuilding. A big um, advocate, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so that was a great show, really competitive. I got second place. They actually, this is the only time this has ever happened. So uh, they brought us all back out for call-outs, and they had top five. And then so they, when they called out for first, they had us come out and uh, pose down for first and second. And Dalton, I mean, he did. He looked great. I think he's a guy from Kansas City. He just had a tiny, a vanishingly small waist, broad shoulders. I think I was probably a little bulkier than he was, but he was he was probably leaner, better shaped. Totally deserved first place there. So then that really that really motivated me because I knew, okay, I know at least a little bit about what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I I have the work ethic to be competitive. I want to try to take this to the next level, and so. I, I stayed in shape and competed at a show in Omaha a couple of weeks later that Matt Naple Jackson promoted, and that's where I got my pro card. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of what whet my appetite. So after I got my pro card, I thought, okay, this is something I really enjoy doing, and it, it opened up 
it changed my approach to, you know, it went from, oh, this is something I want to dabble in and try to, this is, I want to see how far I can take this. Yes. In terms of competing. So, um, how do you, and from there, I can talk to you about how, how competing as a pro has gone from there, if you'd like, or. Please. Yes, please do. Please do. So, um, I kind of had a repeat of the experience I had with Kaylin at my first natural show when I went to the Casey Classic <laughs> in 2016. Yeah, so <laughs> that was a super competitive show, and uh, my mindset going into it was my last show where I went in kind of with the mindset of, uh, if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats. You know, it was like I would have put all of my psychological eggs in the basket of placing as high as I can. Um, who else is going to show up at this show? Like what 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 great body parts do they have? How can I be competitive with those? Um, just a lot of that really external focus. And I came in. I think I talked to the judges afterward. I didn't place top five. They told me I was. I think they told me I was sixth. Uh, psychologically, the two or three weeks after that show were a complete disaster. I just. Uh, so frustrated with myself, felt like my whole prep had been kind of wasted because I didn't place the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, um, I was having to fight the feeling that looking at the pictures, I should have placed here, should have placed there. And mm -hmm. I got to credit April and a couple of the other judges who were telling me things like, man, you know, your posing could have been better. Um, you know, you were in pretty good shape, but you could have been even leaner. Um, you were going against some really competitive guys. And so I had to really kind of break down my whole psychological approach to competing after that show. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to compete again, but I wanted to do it the right way. So I kind of changed before my next show to a mindset of, I have this ideal in my head of how I'm trying to look on stage. I can only control the way I show up and look, and that's what's going to give me the best chance of winning, right? So it's kind of like that stoic idea of the trichotomy of control. It's like here's some things I can control completely, some things I can partly control, and some things I have no control. I have no control over how great some of these dudes look when they show up or who's going to show up at this show. So I can't worry about that, you know? Um, I have complete control over whether I get up for this 5 a.m. leg workout. I have complete control over whether I eat – ground turkey and sweet potatoes or pizza and beer, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I focused on that um, and, and really laid out a psychological approach that fit me, I found this immense sense of release when I went to Mr. and Mrs. Natural Minnesota in 2017. It was like what, by the time I got on stage, I was – I never thought I'd be able to say this, but I was okay with whatever result was going to come out of that show. And I was able to mm -hmm. interact – people backstage and actually have fun competing um, and kind of broaden my horizons in terms of the people I was able to network with. And so, I mean, in one sense, yeah, it was great to win that show, but I think that was a breakthrough moment for me in terms of my approach to prep. Nice. I'm and that is, I mean, that's really good, and I'm glad that you shared that story with us because in unpacking your challenges that you went through, I think you have uncovered just a lot of experience that athletes out there have, and some of them don't handle it as well as you do, and then we don't see them again, or they make a bad public display, or so on and so forth. Yeah. But really, I, oh I enjoy your perspective of, 
you know, I can control only so many things. And if I focus on the things that I can control, odds are I'm going to be in a place where I want to be at the end of this all, and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your placement on stage. And so I think that's just really enlightening, and I appreciate that you shared that with us. And, in fact, Jess, um, one of our listeners, has commented that the KC Classic and Worlds are tough, in all caps, shows, and that is so right. They are tough, tough shows. The Mr. and Mrs. Minnesota is another a caliber yeah. tough show, and uh, for you to place top ten is quite an honor. So you know, kudos from Jess and all of us. And we only have a few minutes left, but so you 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 carried all these life experiences through. Psychology is big for you. You've embraced understanding your own psychology and how that impacts you and your performance. So how did that carry you through to the world? Because I'm telling you what, when Jess says they're tough, I mean, that's an understatement. That show is tough, especially for men's physique and bikini. I mean, it's tough across the board, but I feel like the largest numbers show up for those categories, which just makes it, you know, tougher just because there's just so much more competition and they're all at, the pro world stage level. So yeah. going to that show, I mean, talk to us about how that preparation went for you. Yeah. So let's see. In 2017, I was I got first place um, at Mr. and Mrs. Natural Minnesota, and so I thought, okay, one goal was to you know you know place at a show, at a pro show. So then I kind of had checked that off my list, and I thought, I want to step on stage. I'm someone who doesn't like to compete unless I feel like I've made improvements. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to compete in 2018. It'll take me at least probably two years to be able to um, add some muscle and do a prep. And so I targeted Mm -hmm. 2019, and I wanted to qualify for Worlds. And so um, I picked the Minnesota show, um, Clash of the Titans, I thought if I can do that show, it's close enough to Worlds where I won't have to have these two preps that are really separated in in the calendar year. And so mm-hmm. I targeted that. I targeted that show. Um, and you know what? In terms of my approach to it, it was just a huge release and an incredible reduction in anxiety compared to previous preps um, because of kind of the approach that I talked about in the last segment. It was just um, I know I've done all the work. The way that I'm measuring. Um, how well I'm doing is, you know, how effective is the strategy strategy I designed for this prep? How how was my adherence leading up to the show? Um, have I made improvements in the areas that I targeted? And if I've done all of those things, then I feel like I've been successful in, in my preparation. And so it took away all the anxiety of worrying about who was going to show up and all of those things. So, you know, I was blessed enough to take first place at the Clash of the Titans in Minnesota. Um, and then Worlds was just a couple weeks later, and, and that experience was, it was great. The guys I competed against were in phenomenal shape, um, people, too, to interact with. Uh, just a lot of real humble um, <laughs> humble guys with really great physiques that it was a pleasure to compete with and against. And uh, that feeling, the feeling of walking off with the first place trophy was amazing, but um the experience and the process was something that I think will stick with me even more. Well, and that's fantastic. And I think that's an awesome note to be able to end on. Caitlin, last thoughts on tonight. I know if you really want to do well at the Worlds, 
and and all any any big show. Just get that snickerdoodle ready, and 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 you're gonna be the man. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just gotta start vigorously pumping up three minutes before the show, <laughs> going crazy, drop sets of curls. <laughs> just hope there's some super jack brother that's there to slow you down, man. You gotta chill. <laughs> Oh, shoot. Mari, you have been a joy. I appreciate everything you've shared with us along with the laughs. It, uh, it, it's been good. It's been good to smile and laugh and, uh, and be inspired. So I thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. Hey, I'm honored that you asked me to be on. I uh, love, your, love your show. I've gone back and listened to a bunch of the episodes. So y'all keep doing what you're doing. Glory to God. All right, fantastic, fantastic. Kaylin has done his snickerdoodle shout-out. So on behalf of all you pump-up freaks <laughs> out there, and you know who you are, and uh, teachers everywhere, you know what? Love your bodies, love your students, love the people that you're with, and uh, your body is a temple, so let's build it. With snickerdoodle.